Well, we're still breaking dishes and haven't been kicked out of the kitchen yet. For those of you just tuning in, I'm John Strasner. And I'm Verda Alexander. And we decided to do a podcast together that seeks out those rare individuals who have decided to put their superpowers to use in fighting the forces of evil, which are creating ocean plastic issues, pollution, and other socioeconomic hardships affecting our planet. These are people or companies that have looked at the status quo and asked us all why. Why are we using poisonous materials? Why are we making things from so much virgin plastic? Why aren't we showing everyone what's in our products? These are tough questions, and sometimes you have to break some dishes to get some answers. Verda, who are we talking to today? Well, John, we are going to be speaking with Josephine Abate, Josie for short. She's been the Chief Sustainability Officer at Kilhauer since 2017. She drives the sustainability program there and champions conservation and promoting the health of our planet at every opportunity. In a former job, her title was actually Eco-Warrior. For Kilhauer, she's actually had a hand in helping them be recognized as Canada's greenest employer for six years in a row and for launching a carbon neutral task chair in 2018. Are you wondering how you can possibly manufacture a chair that is also carbon neutral? We are too. Josie will tell us about that process and more. We will also talk to Josie about where sustainability and design meet. Welcome, Josie. Let's break some dishes together today. Hi, everyone. Hi, Josie. How are you? Good, good. Josie, nice to meet you. You as well. Thanks for jumping on our, our podcast. It's in its infancy, but it's, it's, it's been already tagged as a future world's greatest. So <laughs> People have already identified it and said, this is the podcast of the future right here. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> That's what we all hope. <laughs> yeah. Let's just get started here. Yeah. Now, I love your title. I'm jealous. And I'd love to know how you became a sustainability officer and your journey at Kilhauer. Yeah, I'm an environmental scientist by trade and at heart. So I graduated with a master's in environmental science from Western University. And I've worked with Kielhauer for four years now to help progress their sustainability program. Nice. And it's that, now the timing the coincides with you being there, them becoming Canada's greenest employer, right? Have the, and I'm curious what your role was in, what role you took in that, but also how the owners embraced it. Like, have they always been into sustainability and what's their story? Yeah, Kielhauer's big long-term goal has always been closed-loop manufacturing. And um, our, our president, Mike Kielhauer, he's green at heart and he views everything with a lens of sustainability. So before there was even a sustainability officer at Kielhauer, Mike led all of the programs. Um, for example, he initiated our Tom Take Back program in 1997. So that was even before our Cradle to Cradle certification existed. Um, so because Kielhauer was founded with these sustainability beliefs, really that's why we've been recognized as Canada's greenest employers for seven years now. So we've, we've maintained the Canada's greenest employers recognition 
long before I was here. But um, I think it's just how we do things at Kielhauer. Our employees and our staff are all sustainable. Yeah, I and I've met Mike before. He, he probably doesn't remember me, but I've met him <laughs> at uh, some industry events. And he's a very authentic person, which is, which is what you kind of need. Um, how... So you, you didn't have any challenges then really getting Kiel, Kielhauer in lockstep with developing a sustainability story. They were already well on their way. You're, tell us a little bit about Kielhauer's, their core value set. Is it, is it really public? Do they share it with employees? Yeah, Kielhauer's, um, as I mentioned, Kielhauer's big goal is closely manufacturing. So we really focus on three initiatives within that. So waste diversion, uh, healthy materials, and sustainable sourcing. So for waste diversion, our employees are definitely part of the process. Everybody's trained and involved on sustainable practices. We target internal processes like recycling and upcycling, but then we also target end-of-life for our customers, so we can reduce waste downstream as well. For sustainable sourcing, this looks at the content of materials we're procuring, so recycled materials, recyclable, local suppliers, and we make sure that all of our vendors have signed ethical codes of conduct, so they operate ethically and sustainably. And the last program to touch upon our closed-loop manufacturing is really healthy materials. So yeah, that's a big uh, one. That's my. I want to. I want to. Verda. I want to jump on healthy materials for a minute. Yeah, because I think that that's like my passion point. I listen. Let me just get on a soapbox here for one second. You know, our industry is a challenging industry because a company like Kielhauer, I'm assuming you probably have quite a few manufacturers that you work that 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 provide you with parts and pieces. Unfortunately, you can't make every component that goes into all your product. And so tell us a little bit about your efforts at sticking with healthy materials. You know, how's that going for you? I just our industry you know, I think it's such a, a challenge to to remove toxins from the stuff that we're making. It definitely is a journey to remove toxins from our products and our materials. Uh, there are a few challenges. I mean, step one is assessing the materials in the components. So one challenge is we really have to dig into the supply chain to figure out what every little material is. And then the second challenge is removing it and replacing it with a healthy material. So at Kielhauer, we screen every material that enters our facilities. So whether that's a material for our products or our facilities or our processes, we'll make sure it doesn't have any red list ingredients or any toxic ingredients. That way, we're treating our employees the same as we're treating our customers and they can both work and live in a healthy environment. What are some of the red list materials that you've had to go through and, and take out of your product? 
One of the big red list materials that we've flagged for elimination is PVC, which is really common in edge bands. Um, so we've substituted this with an ABS edge band. And one challenge that accompanied this is redesigning our tables to accommodate the new healthy material. So we do that in our design for environment program. Our designers, our engineers, and myself will all work together to figure out how to design our products to incorporate healthy materials, design for disassembly and end of life, among other sustainable features. How are you designing for disassembly? That's got to be tricky. Like you want it to come apart really easily so people can recycle parts and pieces, right? Exactly, yeah. The goal for designing for disassembly is so you or me could really take apart the piece of furniture with simple tools in half an hour or less. And then we have instruction manuals on what is recyclable and how to recycle it. So hopefully in 10 years when you might need to get rid of your chair, um, you can replace the components, repair the components, or if you want to recycle it, it, we make it really easy to do that. Yeah, I'm super interested in end-of-life designers. As designers, we create a lot of waste and the construction industry also. It has a big take, takes a big chunk out of the greenhouse emissions pie, right? And a lot of material, furniture, and carpet goes into landfills, even with buyback and return programs. Is there anything that you're doing to incentivize or try to make that number bigger of what's coming back to you or not going into landfills? Yeah, the EPA rates on furnitures and landfills is really striking. I read 9 million tons of furniture are landfilled. Oh, awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Keelhauer offers take-back programs, specifically one for our Tom chair, and that coupled with the disassembly documents and end-of-life instructions, we hope will help reduce those landfill rates, but it is a challenge. Yeah. So tell us about, you know, we're all in lockdown, shelter in place, working from home. Tell us what you're doing right now in terms of your role with Kilhauer. What's exciting? What are you excited about at this moment? It's hard to, I'm finding it's hard to, you know, stay the course, right? Hey, the good news is she's up there in Canada where there's no crazy people. (laughs) And there's no smoke and fire. Oh, my gosh. gosh. Armageddon. <laughs> it's, it's the Armageddon states of America, man. I'll tell you. We're falling apart down here, Josie. Help us out. I've seen <laughs> pictures. Oh, and then 50 days to the election as well. Oh, uh, we're all on the edge of our yeah. Hard to focus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, look forward to. it's hard. It's been very hard to push projects forward in the middle of COVID-19. And Kielhauer has done a very cool project in the middle of COVID-19, despite everything. We released Swerve, our carbon-neutral task chair, and I completed a third-party review and LCA on that. So we calculated our carbon footprint, and we're offsetting the remainder of it. So the whole chair will be carbon-neutral, and we're purchasing offsets for every Swerve manufactured. That's crazy. And Verda, you and I haven't really even chatted about that new chair. And we're obviously not here to push product, but 
Verda, are you curious? I'm curious about well, like a. Yeah, I'm. I'm really curious about what it really means to be carbon neutral for a product to be carbon neutral because obviously it takes energy and carbon to produce something. Yeah, so how can it actually be neutral or negative? Like I you're making stuff. Yeah, I don't quite. I don't quite get it. <laughs> yeah, we're calling you out, Josie. We are calling you out. <laughs> um, simply put, everything has a carbon footprint. So for a product or even a whole company to be carbon neutral, you basically assess all the carbon outputs from the beginning of the process right to the end. So for a product, you can assess the carbon output from cradle, so material extraction, all the way to grave, so end of life, recycling, landfilling, and every step along the way produces emissions. At the end of this assessment, you'll get a carbon footprint and you can reduce it internally or offset it externally and figure out which areas have the highest target to focus on those. Can you tell us what your targets are, what the percentages are? Because it seems like internally reducing it is much better much a much better goal or aim than offsets, right? Yes, definitely. So what we found out with our life cycle assessment was actually what we've been doing has been working. So our manufacturing portion of the life cycle was relatively low because we purchased renewable energy credits to offset all of our electricity and we have energy saving measures in place here. So really our portion of the LCA was was quite small. The larger portion was actually raw materials. So even though we incorporate recycled content and we have suppliers that are local so that reduces the distribution materials were the largest part of our footprint. Well, Adverta, you're a designer. So when you, when you think about a carbon neutral chair, is that something, do you inherently, this is my knee jerk, but Verda, I'm curious if it's yours. Do you automatically assume that that chair is going to cost more money and not be as attractive (laughs) as a chair that doesn't make an environmental claim? Because I think there's like that, that misconception out there. Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, for one thing, Kilhar has a great reputation as far as design goes, sleek and beautiful and contemporary. So I, I, wouldn't, ex- I wouldn't expect that necessarily. But yeah, I would imagine that it would cost more and it could, could potentially be a harder sell to our clients, unfortunately. Josie, what have you found with, with this this? carbon neutral chair you kind of blaze the way with it so is the assumption now or the is the plan now that Kielhauer is going to start creating more carbon neutral product and this is going to be sort of a standard operating procedure for your company now that we have one carbon neutral chair and we have a third-party review life cycle assessment to back that up we hope to use those results in our product design going forward so the largest portion of the carbon footprint was material extraction. So in designs going forward, we are looking to reduce the carbon portion from the materials life cycle. Mm-hmm. What about your suppliers? Are you finding supportive suppliers? Um, have you had to fire suppliers that don't really want to be that transparent? We like to prioritize suppliers who 
will work with us and help us to achieve our sustainability goals. So we'll, uh, we will prioritize suppliers who have reusable packaging, who are local, who can give us FSC wood or sustainable healthy materials. And we'll continue to use those suppliers and materials that are already approved going forward. Mm-hmm. I, I do think designers are going to start looking towards companies like yours that are taking initiative and, and, we're, and making it easy for us to specify healthier products and carbon neutral products and things like that. I think it's going to definitely be the next thing once we get out of this pandemic. Now, and I was... But do you think, Verda, are you pushing that conversation or are your customers pushing that conversation? How, how are you finding that? Mostly us, unfortunately. Every once in a while, we'll get a client who's really interested in that conversation. But, it's, but what we've been trying to do is, especially in this year, uh, trying to make that the, where we start every conversation with our clients. And it's, it's, it's a learning process for us, too, and just even how to broach that subject with our clients. Yeah, I started the year... Think, thinking of myself and my firm or trying to embrace this uh, title of design activist and just this idea of what an activist is. And I thought it really, I, I thought that was really funny because when I was researching you and Kilhar for this podcast episode, I found an ad that you guys placed in Metropolis magazine <laughs> that said design activists since 1981. <laughs> and for me, it means going beyond my own design and my own clients and just the way I, I live my life and what going out and protesting or marching or writing letters or anything and everything that I can do to make a bigger, a bigger impact on the world. So what, tell us, I mean, I want to hear about you as a design activist and Kilhar as a design activist. What it means to be a design activist is not following the status quo and turning your own path. So being an activist, you want to affect meaningful change for the common good, but being a design activist is about creating a tool to help everyone reach their goal. So Kielhauer as design activists, we make it possible for designers or the public to also be environmental activists by providing them with those tools. Love that answer. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I love that. I, and one of the things that this, well, the main thing we're trying to do with this podcast is find find solutions for designers, find ways for designers to feel more empowered to do more and and to have to to talk to people like you that are mixing things up and and shaking the shaking up the status quo. Do you feel like you're doing that as a designer? Do you consider yourself a designer or you or how are you working with the designers that you deal with every day? I don't consider myself a designer. I see myself more as the scientist side of it to help inform designers and improve and refine the final product. So at Kielhauer, through our design for environment team, where I'll work collaboratively with our designers and our engineers, our purchasing team, um, we can consider different materials and techniques to ensure that the final product is really as sustainable as it can be without sacrificing on aesthetics or usability. So yeah, I'm not personally a designer, but I'll get to work indirectly with the A&D community. Um, so as one of Kielhauer's design activists, I can help by providing designers 
tools they need to achieve their sustainability goals. Yeah, it's about, I think a big part of what a company like Kilohauer can do is, is build awareness. And, and that's part of the, the, the tools and the resources mm-hmm. that you're creating. How do you, how do you build awareness uh, with the design community? How do you get them excited about, about what you're doing? How do you talk about what you're doing while at the same time trying to stay authentic? Because I think a lot of companies struggle with, we're doing some pretty cool things environmentally, but if we over-market that or we over-hype it, people are going to think we're doing it just so we can market it. It's very hard to stay authentic in a world full of greenwashing. But I think the easiest way to stay authentic is just by being authentic. Our Efforts are really data-driven and we're driven by science and I'm a scientist. So I always seek independent third-party review and verification labels on our certifications and our products. So that's a tool designers can use. We work with industry NGOs to ensure we're accomplishing something real and being meaningful isn't always sexy. People don't like data and science, but we're just focused on results. For example, I mean, we've been working towards eliminating Red List since 2017. And now the industry is talking about it. Our NGO, like BIFMA, just pushed, put pen to paper and um, incorporated Red List in our sustainability standard. So now, you know, the industry is really kind of catching up with what we've been trying to do all along. Yeah, it does feel like we're, we're definitely waking up, all of us, I think, and we're all very, waking up very quickly here, which I guess is a, definitely a good thing. <laughs> yeah, thinking about Red Lists and going back to what you're talking about, research and asking questions, we talked with another person, a role similar to yours, and she just started to ask, why are antimicrobials applied to chairs? And does anybody care or notice? And the answer was, no, not really. And they don't really do anything. They don't do much of anything. And, and it's interesting how things just get applied or we just, we just accept things as they are without asking questions. Have you had any situations with the red list where you want to pull a red list ingredient out of a product, but there's no good substitutions? Have you gotten hung up on that yet? We've come across a few instances where we've identified red list materials and we are in the process of targeting them for elimination. And either there's no good substitutions or we have to change our design to just eliminate it. So for example, a line of our tables can only use PPC edge bands and we're in the middle of redesigning those to incorporate ABS or just eliminating the edge band altogether. Edge band. Yeah. Yeah. And then, it's, yeah. And another example would be indoor air quality. That's a big one. We want to make sure that our products aren't releasing harmful VOCs. So we have to send all of our tables and our chairs to the lab to just ensure that they're not emitting any harmful chemicals. And if they do come back with high VOCs, then we'll reformulate. Who needs edge banding anyways? Yeah. Well, we really don't need it. It's so old. It's just another, it's another material to wind up in a landfill. 
How, yeah. How about packaging of your carbon neutral chair or any other, other of your product products? We had a, our first guest was a packaging designer and he had some super creative solutions for reducing or eliminating packaging or making it 100% recyclable or recycled content. Do you guys address that as well? Yeah, that's a really good point. So in our life cycle assessment, we received back some tips for the packaging phase. And one recommendation was if we remove the box from our packaging, we can considerably cut down on our carbon footprint. And I thought this was a great recommendation because we already offer blanket wrapping. So if a customer wants that, that already doesn't have the box. But it was just surprising to me how much carbon contributed to the the footprint from the box, even though the box was made of recycled content. So we'll Mm. that's just our downstream packaging. But in terms of upstream packaging, we have reusable containers and reusable packaging like foam and netting with our suppliers that we just keep cycling back and forth so we don't have to recycle or landfill that it contributes to our waste diversion so that comes back to you and then you reuse it again yeah yeah the packaging cycles back between our suppliers and us and it's easy to do that too because of our local supplier base it's a great idea are you guys experimenting with any uh, really innovative materials yet that you can talk about? <laughs> I mean, you can tell us here because we keep really good secrets. That aren't top secret. <laughs> In terms of packaging, we're ironing out the kinks on a biodegradable bag, but it's there's a lot of kinks to that. Hmm. So we're not quite there yet. Like what? What, what? what do you get hung up on with a biodegradable bag? Uh, Well, we'd love for it to be transparent and that isn't available yet. Actually, BIFMA has a working group on eliminating plastic packaging. So we're kind of all working towards a solution that doesn't exist just yet. So the size, the durability, being transparent would be nice. I don't know about this BIFMA initiative. Could you fill me in? Uh, Yeah, BIFMAs are our industry um, association. So the Business and Institutional Furniture Manufacturers Association. So they have a number of working groups where BIFMA manufacturer members can get together and just discuss problems and come up with solutions. So one of the working groups is a plastic packaging interest group. None of us want plastic packaging. We want to eliminate single-use plastic packaging and in this interest group, everybody's collaborating on solutions. Well, and all the level certifications are BIFMA too, right? And you've got a number of those. Yeah, BIFMA level, it's a multi-attribute sustainability standard for furniture. And so all Kilhar products are BIFMA level too. All of them? Yes. Wow, okay, that's a, that's a great accomplishment. Josie, what's your North Star right now? Where do you want to... You know, what's big on your list for you guys had a, a great 2019 long list of accolades. What, what, what in the year of COVID is Kielhauer going to do? My next biggest project is um, producing a declare label. Actually, we've worked so hard to eliminate 
red list ingredients from our products. So I really want to formalize it and make a verification label for everybody to use. Mm, I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for the, for anybody listening who doesn't know what a declare label is, it's, it's like a, uh, a nutritional label, but for, but for furniture. And it's, you know, long overdue because I think that it's highly irresponsible for us to ship product all over the globe and put it in schools and, and uh, daycare centers and office buildings and people's homes. And we don't even know all of what's in it. So good for you. The Declare label, is um, that's a great initiative. Good luck with that. But if you've removed the red list materials, I mean, that's the big hurdle right there. That's what gets everybody hung up. Yes, it does. Um, but one challenge is for a while, I think a lot of manufacturers were just relying on um, supplier declarations where there would be uh, proprietary chemicals. So we'd ensure that our products didn't have red list ingredients uh, based on a, an affidavit. And honestly, that's just not good enough anymore. Like we need to see what the ingredients are and list them out. No, absolutely. And And you need to make that, you have to make that uh, information accessible, right? So that designers like Verda can actually, I mean, Verda, I don't know, if if you decided that you were going to go PVC free, right? The harder you have to look for that, the less likely you are. Exactly. Right? I mean, it's... Yeah. We're actually trying... We're looking at that right now. We're we're picking a a few things out of the red list and trying to see what kind of implications down the pipeline in terms of how we design, what kind of construction materials, what kind of furniture products that would impact. I'm putting you on the spot. It's challenging. I'm putting you on the spot. But but like what? What have you identified that for sure? Is there anything in particular that you've decided we want to... We're, we're looking at PVC. We're looking at hydrofluorocarbons. Is that how you say it? P, uh, PFCs. PFCs. Yeah. And um, one other thing that is escaping my mind. I don't even I, my notes aren't nearby. But yeah, which we're, is we're, perfluorinated perfluorinated compounds. PVC. PFCs. Which, PFCs. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's what's in um, stain resistant coating and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And what's good? In, uh, yeah, I think yeah, it's a it's a small step, but I think once we take that step, that leap, I guess, I think well, it'll be a lot easier to start incorporating more and more materials as we get comfortable with it. I think so, Josie. Do you think that? Um, I mean, Keelhauer is a little bit on the on the you're ahead of the curve right now, or maybe you're at least on the you're on the bleeding edge of it right now. But you know, if more design firms like O plus A, you know, start to single out red list ingredients, what more of a motivator, you know, do manufacturers need? If designers stop specifying it, at some point we'll stop making it, right? That's all we need. We just need designers to be firm and insist that they do not want these harmful chemicals in the products that they're specifying. If more designers just insist on specifying green and creating the demand for sustainable products, and stop purchasing wasteful, cheaply made harmful products without commercial specifications, then we have no choice but to continue producing sustainable products. 
It's, um, it's a big nut, right? Like Verda, if you have a designer and you say to that designer, damn it, we're going to start specifying green from now on. What, what, what does that even mean? Right? Like, there's so many different interpretations. That was um, when we were all in our office together back in February, early March. That was the question I'd posed to everyone. And it was quite the brain teaser. We weren't we didn't really know how to proceed, to be honest. Yeah. It's almost overwhelming when you don't break it down. Josie, what would you tell a design firm that is sort of having the kind of conversations that Verta's having with her with her firm? What do you like a starting point? What what is a good starting point for a design firm? Don't tell me you don't know. <laughs> um, no, it's a good question. I've even seen within the same firm, a disparity from project to project. I've seen some designers having one idea of what green means and then other designers not even knowing what green means. I think one good first step is to learn your certifications. So if you just push your reps to outline what the third-party verifications mean, why they're meaningful, what green building projects they can be used before, then that way you can you can look to those verification labels for science and data-driven information. Yeah. As long as they're, I think, as long as they're third-party certified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Third-party independent, independently assessed certifications are, um, it's just an added layer of assurance. But you're absolutely correct. Like there are so many certifications out there. So as a designer, you really have to ask yourself which ones are meaningful and there might be no good answer, but I personally like third-party verified multi-attribute sustainability certifications because then if a level or declare you're hitting on a number of sustainability attributes like carbon, end of life, healthy materials. Do you have a favorite? Do you have one that you recommend as far as the certification goes? Well, BIFMA level is kind of a a gold standard for our industry Mm. because within BIFMA level, they require you to have other third-party certifications. So there's a health and wellness component, um, an environment component, a social component, and... BIFMA level will target things like DECLARE, indoor air quality, waste reduction, policies, ethical suppliers. So since it's so multi-attribute, you can pretty much bank on that product having other certifications as well. Do you guys have a moonshot? What you, where you want to be in a year, five years? Yeah, Kielhauer's goal is closed-loop manufacturing in our industry, synonymous with circular economy. So we've been moving step-by-step towards closed-loop manufacturing. And one good 2019 highlight of this is our Division 12 line of products we designed. So these are like 100% recyclable, all FSC wood, no harmful chemicals, So they can just go right back into the cycle at the end of their life. As we design more products and um, assess our processes within our facilities, we can step closer to closed-loop manufacturing. That's our main goal. 
I was also thinking too, while Josie was talking, Verda, I'm thinking you said earlier how, how, um, how well-designed Kielhauer product is. So, I mean, really, truly, at the end of the day, if you're designing beautiful product, you're hoping that it stays out of landfills, right? You're hoping that... I was talking to somebody uh, from our industry just the other day, uh, and they said that they were really hoping that, you know, where their furniture is manufactured, uh, they're a Scandinavian brand. And over there, you know, young people, if they see a chair that's 25 years old in a you know, in a yard sale or something, they grab it and, and they fix it, you know, they repurpose it and they reuse it because they, they culturally, they love design. And in our country, you know, we're guilty of probably not embracing design, but I think companies like Heelhauer, you're making really beautiful product. It, it shouldn't, it really shouldn't wind up in a landfill, you know, it should pretty much last forever. I think one of our guests said that, why, why can't I ever find a Herman Miller chair? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's that's true. Point, right? <laughs> you, don't, you don't see Kielhauer furniture washing up on the beach with all kinds of ocean plastic, unfortunately. If, if we did, people would be scooping them up and they wouldn't be floating around <laughs> in the ocean. So. That's funny. It's kind yeah. of, uh, we talk about this here um, because our products are made to have a long useful life with a 10-year warranty. So it's kind of a joke. Like if we initiate a take-back program, like will we ever get no. these products back to us? No, you hope not. Or like, yeah. <laughs> when? Yeah, you hope not. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's true though. Best of luck to you and Kielhauer. I think you guys are doing an awesome job. I'm glad you're getting some recognition and some accolades. The industry needs to recognize companies like Kielhauer and, and individuals like you that are pushing the envelope and, and trying to do the right thing. So thanks a lot. Thank you and stay green. <laughs> <laughs> you too. <laughs> stay well. Take care. Thanks, Jesse. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.